Hello, I'm Esau McCauley. I'm the author of Reading While Black, Josie Johnson's Hair and the Holy Spirit, and my forthcoming book, Lent, The Season of Repentance and Renewal. I'd like to say congratulations to IVP for celebrating its 75th anniversary this year. God bless you all. I'm Kathy Kong, one of the co-authors of More Than Serving Tea and author of Raise Your Voice, Why We Stay Silent and How to Speak Up, along with the Alabaster Guided Meditations for the Book of Psalms. And I'd like to say congratulations to IVP for celebrating its 75th anniversary this year. Welcome to the Every Voice Now podcast, where we bring voices of color into the spotlight. I'm Myla Kim. And I'm Ed Gilbreth. In every episode, you'll hear from authors of color about the making of their books, as well as the challenges they had to overcome along the way. Hello, everyone. Paloma Lee here, assistant producer of the Every Voice Now podcast. I'm delighted to welcome you to this special bonus episode celebrating IVP's 75-year anniversary. Today we're featuring Orlando Crespo, author of the 2003 IVP title, Being Latino in Christ, Finding Wholeness in Your Ethnic Identity. Orlando has been with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship since 1987, and he currently serves as the National Director of InterVarsity Latino Fellowship, also known as La Fe. I was really fortunate to be able to interview Orlando alongside our producer and my co-host, Helen Lee. I really appreciated Orlando sharing part of his own struggles with ethnic identity as a Latino growing up in the Northeast United States, as well as his unique publishing journey within the InterVarsity context. At the time of his book's publication, most people weren't really writing or reading on this topic. But since then, this work has impacted thousands of Latino readers in their spiritual and ethnic formation. Orlando has so much wisdom to share, and I hope you're encouraged as much as I was by this conversation. So with that said, let's get on with the show. We are excited to welcome Orlando Crespo to the Every Voice Now podcast today. So thank you, Orlando, for joining us today on this episode. It's great to be here. My pleasure. Orlando, talk a little bit about what it is you do, what is your current role, and uh, how long you have been doing that role. Sure. Well, I've been working now with InterVarsity for 35 years. 13 of those years was doing some of the field work as a campus staff worker and area director. And then in 1999, I became officially the first national director of La Fe, of universities, uh, Latino initiative called La Fe. So yeah, so this is uh, my 35th year on staff uh, with university and my 22nd year as national La Fe director. That's incredible. What a gift it is for university to have had staff who've just been connected with the ministry for so long. So, so, so grateful. Well, a big part of what we do on this podcast is we talk about publishing journeys and we talk about ethnicity journeys. And so I'd love to talk a little bit first about that ethnic identity journey. Of course, you write about it in your book, Being Latino in Christ. But just again, for our guest benefit, who may not know all the details, could you share a little bit about your own ethnic identity journey and maybe some key moments, you know, in that journey for yourself? 
I grew up in Springfield, Massachusetts, and at the age of seven years old, we my family moved into a, a an all white neighborhood. In fact, we were the first Latino family moving in, and so I, I remember even at the age of seven years old being aware that we weren't welcomed, and you know at, at that point early on, you, you you're not aware of words like racism or bigotry or prejudice. You just have the feeling that you're not welcomed. And so I remember at an early age having that feeling in my body that I wasn't welcomed. And so, yeah, I think early on, uh, I, I struggled with issues of ethnic identity because I felt like being Puerto Rican was not a, seen as a positive thing, at least in my community. In my family, it was very different, but in the neighborhood, it wasn't. There were a few moments, too, where that were pivotal in my journey. One of them was uh, in 1972, Roberto Clemente, who was my hero, died in a plane accident as he was bringing supplies to Nicaragua after, after I believe it was an earthquake. But I remember thinking just how tragic that was. And here, here our hero for the, for Puerto Ricans and most Latinos, uh, died and you know so tragically so uh and then after that happened there was a baseball league that was formed in Springfield in his honor and so I joined that baseball league and was part of my spiritual formation and part of well part of my ethnic formation I think and then when I was 13 I went to Puerto Rico and discovered how beautiful my island and my people were I discovered that there were family members who were doctors and lawyers and and engineers, and it was just a very different kind of thing than what I've experienced in the mainland, which was mostly Puerto Ricans who were struggling, struggling with racism, struggling with jobs, uh, struggling with housing. And so that was important for me to see the beauty of my own people. And then the last one was uh, Urbana 84. I went as a student. Uh, Billy Graham was speaking, I think it was the last night, where he calls people to commit to missions. And so that talk was transformational for me because I think that's when God gave me a love for my community in regards to missions and ministry. So I left that talk and that night knowing that I would spend the rest of my life working with Latino people at some level. At the time, I thought it might be Mexico or somewhere in Central America. I didn't realize that God had something for me here in the States. Uh, and what's interesting about that moment is that uh, Billy Graham's uh, people, they were trying to keep him from giving that talk because he had he was having major blood clots. Uh, and the doctor said that literally if he did, wasn't careful, he could die at any moment. Oh, my goodness. And so I think they feared that, you know, in front of thousands of students, that Billy Graham could literally die on stage. And Billy Graham was determined to give that talk. And I think now that part of that determination was for me, that I would hear his words and uh, be transformed by them in regards to God's work and mission uh, and calling in my life. I just went to Urbana like most students because your staff worker tells you you should go. It's a good conference. You're going to be motivated and inspired. 
And then uh, for me, it was, it was life-changing. And I know that's true for many people who go to Urbana. Uh, it's not true for everybody, but for me, it really was. It, it changed the course of my life. We are doing this episode, as, as you know, Orlando, in conjunction with our 75th anniversary here at IVP. So we've been around for, for quite some time. So I would love to know a little bit even about your connection with IVP, IVP books, what kind of experience you might have had with our books and when, like how old were you when you first read an IVP book, for example? Yeah, I think the first book I read was um, uh, Becky Pippert's book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. And it was just as I was becoming a student leader, I was leading an evangelism small group. Uh, what was interesting about that group is that we studied evangelism. We never ended up doing evangelism. <laughs> it was foundational, foundational, though, uh, I'm sure. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then uh, I remember with Bob Freiling when he was president. I guess he was president, Yeah, I think right, he was officially IVP publisher. Or, we would call them publisher back then, yes. Publisher, mm -hmm. right. Yeah. And then uh, after him was Jeff Crosby, who was a VP, uh, of publishing, but him also Al Shu, uh, Andy Lapoe, these were people who, when I became Lafayette di director in '99, um, began to pursue me and have conversations with me. I remember at different conferences, it was either Al or Bob Freiling coming up to me and saying, "You know, we'd love to see something uh, published on uh, ethnic identity or a Latino issue," and. Uh, so they they were very intentional. They went after us. Uh, I, I, I to be honest, I don't think I said to myself, "Oh, I'd like to pu publish an IVP book," but they put that vision, that desire in me uh, because they were kind of relentless uh, back then too. I think Andy Lapoe and others led a an IVP writers workshop, and so I was asked, uh, "Could I just?" Uh, apply for that and be a part of that. And I thought, I could do that. That seemed like an easy step. And then, of course, you have to come with two chapters uh, of a book that you probably would like to write. So I thought, yeah, I mean, I could write two chapters. <laughs> so it kind of evolved from there. And that's what's tricky about IVP is they lure you in, inspire you, <laughs> and then and then, and then empower you to, to do it. And so Andy Lapoe was my editor uh, or, or coach during that IVP writing workshop. He liked what I wrote. Others liked it as well. And so he asked me, you know, would I be willing to submit a proposal? And I did. And he became my, my editor for the book. Um, so I felt like AVP, yeah, they were very intentional, very purposeful, and... Uh, didn't just leave it out there, but they helped you along the way. And I, I feel like I'm a, a recipient of that blessing of, uh, of IVP leadership and in, 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 uh, in, in their intentionality. I would love to know a little bit, Orlando, more about what was happening at that time in what, late 90s maybe? Or what were you and other staff seeing that you felt like, yeah, we really, we need something? Like, what was it that was needed for the Latino and Latina students? Yeah, I, I think one of the things uh, back then that we talked a lot about, even on campus, was, you know, of course, the racial issues on campus, they're always prevalent, always important, always there, right? Because racism doesn't go away. So back then, we were talking about racial reconciliation, uh, 
that's the term, you know, and I know there's problems with the term, but back then we were talking about how can we, we be reconciled. Of course, now people are talking about how can you have reconciliation if there hasn't even been conciliation <laughs> in regards to races. But back then we were trying to g- grapple with that. And so uh, our VP at the time, Sam Barkat, was putting together uh, these r- racial reconciliation conferences. We had one in Jackson, Mississippi. Jimmy McGee, uh, Dr. Sam Bakhart were an important part of that leadership. Um, and that was, yeah, that was in the 90s. And so, yeah, so we're just trying to figure out, uh, you know, and even in our urban programs, we were doing flavor meetings, right, to, to, to tell our stories, our racial stories, to pursue racial healing. And of course, often it was our black students who came out of those meetings more traumatized. And we realized there's a mistake in that. We need to change that. Uh, but we were, you know, we're trying those things out. And so I think it became important that uh, we needed Latino leaders to have a voice in those dialogues, in those conversations. So whenever we had any of those national events for students or staff, uh, we needed every voice uh, every perspective, or else we truly weren't ethnically diverse, which is what we were pursuing. So I think Dr. Sambakat realized that we needed to develop the Latino voice, Latino community. And so in the 90s, I remember several gatherings, La Fe gatherings, that Sambakat put together and led for us. And basically, those were just listening posts where we could talk and figure things out. And so I write in my book, a number of the stories I write in there are from those La Fe gatherings that we had in the 90s to figure out who we were and what does it mean to be Latino, you know? I mean, that's the genesis in some ways for things that I write about in the book. It's a lot of what I learned in those gatherings where we're trying to figure that stuff out together. But it was for the purpose of speaking strongly into the movement of university and then on campus as well to figure out what does it mean for us to be part of the racial dialogue on campus and in Christian organizations? And so having a ministry like La Fe, having a book like Being Latino in Christ felt critical uh, for us and, and, and shape it, helping us shape, shape us in that right direction. We always ask about an author's process of writing a book because it's so distinctly different for each person. Um, what can you tell us about how you went about writing the book and what the process was like? Yeah, it took me about two and a half years uh, to write it. The writing course, again, helped me to write, get those first two chapters going. Uh, and then I started to write, not on a daily basis. You know, there's some writers who write daily or they write, they have the discipline of writing weekly and they write every morning from 5 to 6 a.m. That was not me. <laughs> You know, I was a uh, uh, new La Fed director at the time. I was figuring out my job. So I instead, I took extended times to write. So I would take kind of a weekend off and I would go uh, to a retreat center to do some extended writing on a chapter or two, uh, things like that. That kind of having that focused time for me as a writer uh, felt really important. And then, of course, <clears throat> getting that first draft out is pivotal, and we want to try to get that first draft perfect, but that's not the purpose of a first draft. The first draft, 
I remember Andy teaching me from that first draft, you may get like one good paragraph or, or even one good sentence that you can build on. And so the, the idea is to, to get your ideas down uh, in that draft and then to go back and refine and figure out what's going to work. Maybe you need to re- rewrite a whole new draft. But for me, having that first draft and then going back and editing, uh, for me, I, I feel like I became a better editor of my own work as well because uh, I didn't want to be embarrassed with my editor. So I would write a chapter, write that first draft, then edit, edit, edit some more, <laughs> and then send it to him feeling like, okay, I finally have something that I can feel proud of. And then, of course, the editor has, uh, uh, Andy would have his own views and changes to be made. So so that was my process. And then uh, the last three chapters for me were probably the hardest because during the process, uh, my son in uh, February of 2003 uh, had a near tragic sledding accident. He literally almost died. He was in ICU for three and a half weeks. His liver was almost nearly severed. It was touch and go. Um, And so that March, it was February, I think March 1st, I needed to get those three chapters in uh, to Andy. And I just couldn't write them. I was traumatized. I was afraid that our son would die at any moment. So to think about writing chapters of a book just felt so unimportant to me that uh, that was probably the biggest wall I faced with finishing the book. Uh, But fortunately, thousands of people were praying for my son, including university staff, IVP uh, uh, staff, my church, my my own family. And he began to recover. uh, And then I got energized. I got motivated to try to figure out a way to write those next three chapters. So while I'm in these icy uh, ICU lounges, I'm I've got a cassette tape recorder with me, and I literally just taped those drafts in a tape recorder. <laughs> uh, I had three different cassettes. I think I sent one uh, each to my sisters. I have three sisters, uh, uh, and they just they just typed those out for me, uh, and. Uh, uh, we didn't have Google speak <laughs> back then, speech back then. <laughs> so a physical cassette recorder, cassette tape, putting it in the mail. A week later, they type it out for me, get it to me. And that served as my drafts that they could, I could then improve and work on. And then I was able to make the deadline. But those were scary moments. Those are some personal moments I faced that uh, were just really difficult for me um, in writing uh, this this book, particularly those last three chapters. So the first part was easy. The last half of it was really difficult. And that same year, just as my book was being published, my father died uh, in in two thousand three. Yeah, um, and uh, September. Uh, and so, yeah, so I'm dealing with that. Just as the book is coming out, uh, it was going to be uh, marketed heavily at, at that Urbana, Urbana uh, 03. In fact, I think it was sold out at that Urbana, Urbana 03. Um, uh, so it was, a, it was a difficult year for me personally uh, at a time when 
the writing process or completing the book was most pivotal. Wow, I appreciate even, I mean, a hundred times more now, just knowing that the backstory behind the book, I just had no idea about any of that. So, I mean, praise God that you were able to make it through. And, you know, with the help of your family, I mean, we'll have to put a picture of a cassette recorder somewhere in our show notes for the people who have absolutely no idea what that is sure, exactly. Yes. What, <laughs> what, is what that, that exactly? looks like. That's right. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I'm so glad that, that you're, it was a family affair to all kind of be a part of helping you get across that finish line. Yeah. So. Amen. Amen. And my wife was also one of the uh, people who typed stuff out for me as well and made that possible. But that's what we need sometimes. We need to be able to write and have community around us to get us through the the hard times. Oh, I'm so appreciative to hear the backstory. I'm excited to talk more with you, Orlando. We will take a quick break right now. But when we return, we're going to hear more from Orlando about just the impact that this book has had, this historic, I'll call it historic, this historic University Press book has had. So stay tuned. And thanks for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast. I'm Sandra Marie Vanofstel, author of The Next Worship and 40 Days on Being an Eight. I would like to give a huge congratulations to IVP for celebrating its 75th anniversary. Ever wonder how God is specifically inviting you into a deeper walk with Him? Join a diverse group of students and mission-minded hearts in Indianapolis this December, the 28th through the 31st, for the Urbana Student Missions Conference. Since 1946, Urbana has been a space for whole life, whole world discipleship, a place to discover how God is calling you to use your gifts and passions in His global mission. You'll encounter stories of people who have answered their call to the Great Commission and have served it around the world. You'll engage in dynamic, joyful, multicultural worship unlike any other worship experience you've had. And you'll enter a sacred space to interact with missions organizations and experts to discern where your gifts and experiences fit in God's global work. It's time to rise up. Learn about conference discounts by signing up for the Urbana Insider Community at urbana.org and register now. That's U-R-B-A-N-A dot org. Join us at Urbana 22 to discover, discern, and decide how to pair your passions with God's purpose. This is Alan Ye, author of Polycentric Missiology. Congratulations to IVP for celebrating 75 years. You're listening to the Every Voice Now podcast, and I'm Paloma Lee. Today we've been talking with Orlando Crespo, author of the IVP book, Being Latino in Christ. And keep listening to find out how you can get a special 40% discount on this book at ivypress.com. But first, let's find out a little more about the heritage and history of this notable book. Orlando, the title of the book, Being Latino in Christ, is so interesting if you exegete it. Can you explain the difference between being a Latino and being a Latino in Christ? I know there's some controversy over even what term to use, Latinx, Latino, Latina. Um, I use all of them, I think, depending where your geography or uh, location, I think I think they're okay. Uh so I'll say Latino and Latina uh, interspersed, 
and I mean all Latinos, all Latinas when I say either one of those, just to just to be clear. So yeah, I think for me it, it does deal with the issue of intersectionality. <clears throat> with um uh Robert Cho Romero wrote a IVP book recently, right, called The Brown Church, and he talks about Mission Integral. A Latino theological term that people like Rene Padilla and uh, Samuel Escobar uh, developed and wrote about. They were part of our IFES movement in South America. But the idea is it's a holistic, integrated approach to the gospel that cares about not only the person's salvation and spirituality, but um, their body, their 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 physicality, uh, uh, the issues of justice and wholeness. It really is a more kind of holistic way of, of approaching the gospel. It's not a, a truncated gospel, right? And so for me, when I look at um, issues of Misión Integral, it relates to issues of, uh, of um, intersectionality in that, uh, for me, it's not just about becoming a Christian and living the Christian faith, but there are intersections of our humanity <clears throat> that are important and vital in that. So to know who we are, where we come from, our family background, our history is part of being human, right? There's a longing we, we all have for that, a necessity. And so I think ethnic identity is simply a part of that. Uh, it's a, it is a modality, right? Because you could go to the extreme of that and it could turn into tribalism and ethnocentrism, which is very dangerous. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a healthy perspective of ethnic identity that allows you to love yourself because scripture talks about, and Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So the idea of loving our neighbor is informed by a, a true and healthy sense of loving who we are and how God has made us. And that simply includes ethnic, uh, your ethnicity uh, for me. Um, and so being Latino in Christ means that <clears throat> I'm a Christian and a follower of Christ who has a true understanding of my social location, of who I am and where I am historically, contextually, I am a Puerto Rican, not living in Puerto Rico, but a Puerto Rican here on the mainland, dealing with issues of prejudice and racism uh, that has impacted Latinos for decades uh, and centuries even. Um, and so that, so for me, uh, being a follower of Christ uh, has to be informed by my social location, by my ethnicity, uh, just to survive, just to understand what's happening to me, to have language for it. Uh, and so uh, I think InterVarsity helped me and gave me permission to understand these issues of intersectionality with my faith and my identity in a way that I feel like I'm a better person. I'm a better Christian because I can love Christ truly and faithfully as in terms of all that I am, not just as a man, not just as an American, uh, not just as uh, as a New Englander, right? I grew up in Massachusetts, but as a Latino as well. And that informs part of, not all of who I am, but part of who I am. And it informs, I think, even our our Christianity. You know, we're, we're dealing with some major 
uh, chasms right now, even in American Christianity. And there are debates and questions about uh, issues of race, um, issues of ethnicity. And some people think that they're, those are the things that divide us. I happen to think that dealing with those honestly are going to help unite us uh, in, in, a, in a stronger way moving forward. And so those are the things that I decided I'm not going to shy away from. I'm going to talk about them. So some of those issues of shalom, uh, shalom theology that we were learning in adversity informed, and you'll see that in my book, that there are places where I talk about shalom. Um, because shalom, I think, encompasses all of who we are. Uh, and I think that's the, that's the beauty of shalom theology is that it can encompass all of that and not try to divide us up. And it's one thing I really appreciate about InnoVarsity is that uh, as I think about this book, it gave us a resource as a campus ministry that we could use to bless other ministries. So for example, um, when the book first came out, Crew wanted permission to, uh, like publishing rights for it temporarily. And I think they got we're able to give them 10,000 copies of the book for like a minimal, very minimal price. But it got out there quickly and blessed other other organizations like Crew. Young Life even started to use it in some of their training. Um, also, uh, Navigators. Uh, I've been at a few Navigators events and they've used, you know, my book. And so it, it feels like it's a book that keeps getting um, resuscitated, you know, every student generation, right? Because the book was re really written for people who are American Latinos. And so if you're Puerto Rican on the mainland, you don't get it, or you don't, it doesn't really appeal to you, or if you are a first-generation Latino, it doesn't feel relevant. But if you're an American Latino dealing with some of these issues of race and ethnicity, fitting in, uh, issues of language, it felt so appropriate. So it's been, yeah, I think one of those books that has uh, continues to be uh, used. That really speaks to the transcendence of this topic. The, the fact that it sold thousands of copies over these last decades and is still in print and still speaks to people in this way is just amazing. Can you give us a sense of what that means to you to know that this book that you wrote had such an enduring ministry. I think what it says to me is that I, I heard I heard the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> you know, we do a lot of things in ministry and a lot of it a lot of his trial and error. Uh, but this was something that I, I just felt in my heart I needed to do. Uh, I walked through that door that IVP opened for me and uh, and so it felt right at the time. It was hard. But I felt like I was I was doing what I needed to do uh, as as a leader, as a national leader with with InterVarsity, and it was scary. But I think that's what leadership is. Leadership often is is um, blazing the trail for others who come come behind you. And so, uh, so even with La Fe, we have a La Fe Daniel project that Paul Tokonaga actually uh, was part of Asian American Ministries for many years, helped us to develop. And with that second one we did, uh, one of the projects for that uh, La Fe Daniel project was the Edmana's book. And so I was mentoring uh, Natalia Cohn-Rivera and 
we talked about a writing project and the book began to take shape and then we brought some other writers on on board um, and so so yes yeah, so I think leadership uh, what it means for me is is paving the way not just for myself but for other people who who come behind me as well Sandra Van Opsel was part of my leadership team was one of my first leaders in the La Fe ministry Steve Damajo, who just came out with a, a resource guide on uh, ethnic identity, has been a leader. He's part of our department even now. Uh, so these are people that I feel like I've tried to help to develop and uh, help them help lead the way for them uh, with IVP. Well, I have no doubt that within the movement, once your book came out back in 2003, that it was a, a source of joy and pride and encouragement for LaFay staff. I'm just curious if you could take us back to that time and just share with us the range of responses you and the book received when it came out. You've alluded to it a little bit that there there was a range. So I'd love to just hear some of those stories if you don't mind. Yeah, I'd love to I'd love to share. Yeah, just a note for future writers, because <laughs> I know this part part of what we're doing. Uh, when you write a book, it's out there and the danger sometimes is that if you don't hear from somebody, whether they liked it or not, it's probably because they, they didn't read the book, not because they hated it. <laughs> it could be because they hated it and don't want to talk to you about yeah, it. That could yeah. be. But most of the time, it's that they haven't read it and they have nothing to say about the book. And so they just avoid the topic altogether. And so I think for me, that was, I misread a lot of people. I thought people didn't like my book because you assume everybody's reading your book and that's just not true. <laughs> and so there were um, people in my own, uh, in, you know, in La Fe ministry or even Ivy staff who I didn't, wasn't getting a lot of responses from people. So I just didn't know how to read that. And um, because I'm, if you're a young writer, right, you, there's so much so much of yourself in it that it's easy to begin to feel like, oh, I missed the I missed the mark. Right? I didn't I didn't do it. People hated it. And I think you go there easily. And those early years I went to that easily. And it was later uh in later years, maybe year ten or twelve, where I start to then hear the stories of life-changing moments. So for example, uh, Daniela Espinosa's uh, staff worker, team leader uh, in in Texas, uh, she started out here in New York City. Her staff worker, um, Tim Craig, that's his name, Tim Craig, he used the book uh, with her, wasn't sure how to develop Latino students. She wasn't a Christian at the time. They read the book together. And by the end of the book, she became a follower of, of Jesus uh, she went on to continue to do campus ministry as a student, and now she's on staff. It's been a few years she's been on staff. So from my book being used with a student who becomes a Christian, who becomes a student leader, who becomes a staff worker, uh, you know, that's all I needed to hear. <laughs> Just that one story. That one story made need, it all worth it. <laughs> I don't need any of the stories, right? Uh, but I've heard stuff like that, uh, people coming up to me and uh, wanting to take pictures with me, saying, "Why well, your your book changed my life. And the first time, few times you hear that, you think, oh, they're just exaggerating. But I feel like God has um, corrected me and has told me, you need to receive that as affirmation that I'm giving you. 
uh, because I think that's that's the thing I think with um, you know with BIPOC writers right because we don't have a lot of people who have modeled uh, being writers for us uh, we don't know the process there's nobody to tell us oh you're gonna this is these are the rhythms of being a writer not just do, before during but also after what it feels like uh, and you kind of have to discover that on your own and uh and so I feel like I made some mistakes that hurt hurt me personally that were wrong. Uh, and then God had to correct that uh, in me. Mm-hmm. Arlinda, do you think you'll write again? Do you feel like this is uh, just the beginning of more books and resources that are in you? Or have you not reached that point where you want to go through the cycle all over again? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was it was a long process. You know, when you're young, you have all this energy mm. and inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> I have inspiration. I just don't have the energy uh, as much right now. Uh, and I, I feel really good about empowering others to write and and to do things. Uh, when you're young too, so much of it, uh, so much of ministry uh, is connected to your ego as well, right? You want to be the one, the writer. You want to be doing all these amazing things. I don't have the need for that as much anymore. And so, if I write something, I really want it to be something that God wants me to do, and that's something that I'm doing for to feel. Because I think as you get older, as a minister of the gospel, it's easy to feel like um, you don't have as much value or worth in an organization. Um, and so it's easy to start writing to feel like, oh, I want to get that worth back, right? But uh, I have my worth in Christ. Uh, my family loves me. My wife loves me. That's the most important thing. <laughs> and so I feel good. I feel settled. And uh, I know sometimes people say, oh, do you want to be like a, a one-horse what do they what do they call it? One horse wonder. Or one something. trick pony? I don't know. One trick <laughs> pony. That's it. <laughs> that's it. Uh, you know, I mean, not everybody can have multiple tricks. <laughs> Sometimes some of us are just meant to write one book. We just have one book in us. And is is that okay? Do we have to write three or four or five books to f- feel like legitimately we're we're a writer? Um so I'm grappling with that, but pray for me because I maybe I would like to write another book, um, but I want it to be for the right reason. Well, Orlando, as we prepare to celebrate IVP's 75th anniversary and considering the legacy of your book within that, uh, can you imagine any other publishing house being willing to publish a book like this and why was it so important for Latino and Latina voices to be represented in this way in the marketplace? Um, what were your collective words bringing to the church that no one else had brought to that point? Sure. Yeah, in regards to other publishing houses, uh, I mean, I can only say that there were no other publishing houses pursuing me to write a book like this. So that's why I think InterVarsity Press was unique because we we do a good job of of tapping into talent within our own movement and developing those writers. Uh, my my son is a musician and he says now in the music industry, producers they just want to find people who are already developed, fully talented. There's no sense of developing artists anymore uh, the way it used to be. 
uh, I don't know how true that is in the music world, but I think I see that differently with IVP. They, they developed writers. They developed me into a writer. They didn't just say, oh, you can do it. And, but they tracked with me from beginning to end. And I think that's an important value. Uh, uh, they coached me through it. Those are those are vital things. So I don't know. I don't think there would have been another publishing house because there wasn't. Uh, and the other is that uh, there were people like Bob Freiling and Al and Andy who I think really tapped into what was happening in multi-ethnic ministries. And that's what I love about InterVarsity and IVP is that there's a real sense of interconnectedness and blessing, one blessing the other. And I feel like... Uh, IVP as a publishing house connected well with the broader movement of InterVarsity and that the talent that's within that. And then in terms of collector's words for the church, <clears throat> like I mentioned early, earlier, not only was uh, there a void with issues of ethnic identity development in the broader American church, but I think in the Latino church as well. Uh, many of our churches are first generation, led by first generation leaders. Ethnic identity development is one of those things that seems to elude first generation Latino because they come in fully shaped, right? As Hondurans or Guatemalans, they're not grappling necessarily with these issues of race and ethnicity and racism and, and privilege in this world, uh, in this country. And so I feel like I elevated that, that need. Uh, that young people are dealing with these intersections in their lives, and ethnic identity is one of those, and it's vital if they're going to be healthy and whole. And I feel like God helped to dis- helped us to discover that it was uh, intersectionality is also a form of evangelism, right? It, when you help people to know who they are in Christ and receive Christ as Savior and Lord that that opens up a world for them of getting to know who they are. It's not one or the other. It's not either you become a Christian or a militant, you know, Latino activist. <laughs> if you read uh, Robert Cho's work, you, those two are very possible. And we see that, we see it in 500 years of the Brown Church, is uh, people who fought for the rights of their community and their people and were fiercely loyal and committed to Christ. And uh, and I think though, both of those things are possible. And I think ethnic identity development is part of part of that justice issue and uh mission integral uh, that we that we want to pursue. Amen. Amen to all of it. Oh my goodness. Orlando, I've learned so much about the journey of being Latino in Christ that I never knew. So thank you for taking the time to to share all that with us. Before we go, I wanted to give you a chance to just share anything that you're working on that you'd love to just highlight or that you'd love to let our listeners know what you're working on so that people can be aware and also how people sure. can reach you. So I'm uh, I'm one of the writers for The Franciscan Way, which is uh, what we call the Via Divina, which is these audio walks that uh, take contemplation very seriously. And it's something that... Um, uh, that Tom Sharp uh, and Josh Harper are working on uh, nationally with uh, our study abroad uh, ministry. And that's been a wonderful process of four, four writers coming together and then editors. And uh, they've, you know, Tom and Josh uh, and Scott Besnicker and 
uh, uh, Jamie uh, as well, uh, from Focus, uh, from Faculty Ministry. Yeah, they've just done a great job of bringing writers together to shape that. Nice. So you are still writing as part of your ministry, apparently. I, I am. Yes, very much so. That's, that's yeah, so great. That's, right. that's so great to hear. Um, we'll make sure we're, we'll find ways to link folks to you through our show notes. So and try to find Thank ways you. to highlight that project as well. It was it was really a blessing, Orlando, to have you on our show today. Amen. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Helen and Paloma. It's been a privilege uh, being part of this. And uh, anytime, anytime. <laughs> and we want to also share with our listeners that you can find both Being Latino in Christ and our book Hermanas at everyvoicenow.com. And if you use the code EVN40, so that's EVN40, you can get 40% off these books and free U.S. shipping. So you can visit that site to get a great deal on these unique and important books. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast brought to you by IVP. Our producer is Helen Lee, and our sound engineer is Jonathan Clausen. If you are enjoying our show, please share about it with your friends. We'd be grateful for your reviews and recommendations on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'd love to hear from you directly anytime. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Every Voice Now, or you can email us with your comments, questions, or suggestions at evn at ivpress.com. And join us next time for another inspiring episode of Every Voice Now. Every Voice Now.